Welcome back for another episode of the Boys Noise Podcast. Uh, today's the 30th of December 2019. Celtic sit top of the league on 52 points. Hones in second with 50 points in the game in hand. So not the ideal position going into uh, a new year in, but sure, hey-ho. Uh, we're going to have a look at the old firm then Sunday, if you want to call it that. If you don't, that's your own choice. But then we're going to look at our decade of dominance. So look, I've put a bit of work in today. So hope you enjoy the episode and um, forgive me for for spilling on a bit too much but um, I thought it'd be nice for it to have a look back and close off this year on a positive note and do my best for it to you know put yesterday to bed um, so I hope you enjoy the show um, leave, let us know and follow us on Instagram Facebook Twitter at The Boys Noise Podcast thanks It was shameful, absolutely fucking shameful. So let's take an unflinching look at where we are today. Let's take stock of exactly what that might cost us. The best home record in Europe has been wasted. The record of never having lost at Celtic Park to Sevco has gone with it. They they no longer fear coming to Parkhead, and that's pretty bad. They played without any yesterday. They completely dominated us. We were weak, timid and lacking in any invention when we had the ball. We got what we deserved, 100% got what we deserved. The chance to bury Sevco before the winter break is gone and I thought that advantage was one that we needed if we didn't want this lot hanging on our coattails all the way to win the war. We might not get a chance to move this far ahead of them again from this campaign and that means fraught weeks and months in front of us Needless frustration, needless pressure. We also face weeks of hysteria about how the tide has turned. And after we've turned into into abysmal displays against them in only a few weeks, maybe it has. For the second year in a row, they go into the shutdown, buoyed with a win against us. But this one is different. Like We had a game in hand last time, this time they do. If they win the edge in front of us, and to finally say it, they look difficult to break down. They can keep on growing out result as long as they aren't under sustained pressure. Yesterday we could have put them under the, the sort that buckles teams, but our failure was absolute. We were absolutely dreadful. Everyone is going to say that the pressure is back on us, and of course they'll be correct because it 100% is. It wasn't even that we failed to kill them off today, it's that we never looked as if we might. The club, the cup final performance is bad in so many ways, but yesterday was so, so, so far beyond that. There's no excuses for what we had to watch. No, there's nothing. And I offer none, and I hope Lenny offers none either. He ought to be concerned by what he saw more than anybody. 
that meek surrender in key areas, that failure to get in their faces all season long. I've watched teams do that to to the Huns, stepping off them, letting them have the ball, letting them dictate the play. They punish every side what does it. And we rolled our luck in the final. We we weren't going to get away with it again. At Ibrox, we did exactly to them what they did to us yesterday. How, how come they learned from the defeat, but we couldn't learn from the victory twice? We've backed off them and let them look like a football team. At the same time, we let them get in our faces. What was, like, this is a Neil Len- Lennon's team. Like, where's the fucking grit? that he had, he should be putting that into them, like I really expected that, he would have instilled that in them, particularly with Bruni as his captain, they get a bit of balls about the lads, like did we really expect them to come to Parkhead and play it on the back foot, like if if we did, Lenny hasn't watched them enough in, the, in this campaign, because they do the same thing week in and week out, they harass teams for the ball and press high, and even giving room to run, they do it, we would do it, when we do, we rip teams into pieces, and it's cost us big time. We're now facing a long, tough slog to the finish line, and I wholly expect Sevco to win their game in hand now, which means we're chasing them. For the next few weeks, we're going to have to eat this day over and over and over again. And we should and we will, because we deserve it, because we didn't turn up, because we failed at the most basic tasks today, and so failed at the larger and more fundamental one, which was to put that lock back into the fucking dark hole. Nobody got past marks, Julian, maybe, Frimpong, nobody else. Forrest, he may as well stay at home on his fucking couch. Mikey Johnson was too easily pushed off the ball because he's like, he is small, he's, he's not big enough yet. Christy was quite greedy at times when he should have been smart and squared it to Eddie or whose idea was to take Eddie off penalties like everything was just so fucked up like it was ridiculous and it's gonna cost us big time decisions like that come back to haunt you and fuck me if this doesn't come back and haunt us i'll be the most relieved man of a planet i'll get to morales in due course he earned the red card and he got it right at the end the people who have defended this unhinged thug and unrepented cheat should just be hanging their heads in shame along the bulk of our team just wasn't good enough them booing at the at the start the carry on during the game Morelos kicking and just off the ball shit and throwing himself to the floor like Jesus Christ he's just frustrating as fuck to watch like I'd hate to be a Rangers fan and him starting up front I'm sure it's more frustrating than what it is for us but the celebrations Ryan Kent is shooting the Celtic fans and afterwards Morelos slitting his throat like it's just fucking ridiculous like they're a completely different breed altogether um, I look forward to um, the F- SFA's um, inquiry into that I'm sure it'll be short and sharp like it usually is but he said he was the victim of racist abuse at Parkhead I'm sure whoever it was would have been fucked off by their own fans anyway out the door. But um yeah, it's an absolutely poxy end to the year, but sure, hey ho, we march on.
The year is 2009. Sir John Reid was our chairman, and much of the sign of many Celtic fans. Of course, the man with the handy security contract contact phone book. This was the suggestion when Dermot brought him in on board earlier the previous season. Couldn't care less, and made no attempts to win the fans over. Tony Mowbray was in the dugout after Strachan had left after his three-year tenure, and then Tony would be leaving the dugout after a shameful chills-down 4 0 to Gubbin at St. Mirren. I can still clearly recall Frank Skinner laughing at us paying two mil compensation for a guy that West Brom were quite willing to pay two million to leave. For one, one for Peter for the tag in the gin there. Instepped, who else? Neil Lennon, when a clown let us down. Lenny would do well enough, but sadly somehow we managed to lose one game in the remaining few months, and it was to Ross fucking County at Hamden. Robbie Keane was top scorer, kind of says it all. He still feels embarrassed winning Flans Player of the Year that season, and he didn't. Even, and he even felt sorry for a certain Aid McGeady. As for the league, well, no cigar there, and no surprise given the managerial drama we suffered. In Europe, we got professionally done by Arsene Wenger's Arsenal, and in domestic cups, we had that Highlander shock, and also the shame of Hearts beating us at home in the Scottish. Oh dear, never mind. As Melbourne would often mutter. But hey, we did win the Wembley Cup after beating Al Halai and Spurs on the way. How bright those Mowbray fortunes seemed in the early Ju- July days. This was also the seeds we had a World Cup finals in our fullback in our squad. Can anyone remember who? Leave your comments below. John Reid was still hanging about in 2010. It looked like a bad smell but at least we now started to see a real full-time striker on board with Gary Hooper banging him in Wheezy, Stokesy Chris Commons and Joe Ledley and a certain young Tony Watt arrived that year along with Fraser Foster who arrived on loan that season as the holy goalie did bid Arriva Dirce and headed to Florentina meanwhile Aid McGeady Lip fully petted and bored out of his tree would take a long road to Moscow for a record £9.5 million, which kept Pedro happy. The Scottish Cup 3-0 win over Motherwell with an OG from Stephen Craig and added for joy helped ease the pain of the abject European humiliation um, that would be Braga and Utrecht. And a League Cup extra time defeat to the Huns, who also claimed the league that season after we knocked them out of the Scottish Cup. A season in which we played them seven times, no less, and lost only twice. In the November of that season, we got Aberdeen 9 0 in one game, a game where Hooper and Stokes both got hot streaks, and the Dirty Pele got the final penalty. In charge of the Dons that day was Mr. Happy Jaws and ex Celt Mark McGee. This was also the season we had the referee strike. At least we can all say that the standards, respect, and relationships have improved so much since those dark days, can't we? This would be the penultimate season of the dreadful joint supporters, if anyone remember who it was. So we move on to 2011. It's the end of Sir John Reid as we know it, and we feel we feel fine as R.E.M. never ever sang. Interesting to see a certain Ian Bankier arrive to replace him. In the domestic cups, Lenny's Hamlin hoodoo struck as Kilmarnock of all sides won 1-0 in the League Cup final. Then it was Hearts of Hearts then who beat us 2-1 in the Scottish Cup semi-final. This after we had progressed to meet them without conceding a goal in that competition. In Europe it wasn't to be despite Sion being excluded after governess and qualification and making an arse out their player registrations. 
We had decent box office ties against Atletico, Udinese and Rennes, but weren't good enough to progress. Saving the best bit to last. And what a domestic league season that was, though. By October, we were 10 points behind. By November, we were 15 points behind. By the year's end, however, Joe Ledley scored, and we were top of the table, and whispering Ali McCoy's is fucked. We just didn't know how at the time. Come Valentine's Day, we were sore with laughter, and come May, we'd be our title in Champions League football. Motherwell would also look forward to trying for the Champions League after the Huns died, leaving Hearts, Dundee, and St. Johnson looking towards Europa. No Celtic fan would forget that scary day when we were training down at Camarthic and Tony Stokes grabbed the game, and Lenny's career by the scruff of the neck and dragged us back from the abyss to claim a share of his points and a massive charge forward. We'd go on to win 17 games in a row that season and go 21 games unbeaten. On the park, Hooper and Stokes, he combined for 50 goals to help ease the pain of us buying Mo Bangura. However, for, for every Bangura, we have a signer like Victor Wanyama, a steal at just under $1 million that summer, and we also picked up Michael Lustig for Heha that year. The main departures were Sean Maloney, who would go on to FA Cup glory at Wigan, and a wee boy named Islam Farouz. Not sure what happened to that guy, but we all know. We all thought he was going to go on to such great things too. Talking of awards, a certain fresh-faced whippersnapper named James Forrest would win two Young Player Awards that season too. And interestingly, come the run-in, Charlie Mulgrew would win two Player of the Month's award. Who knew? Mowbray debacle, the Murray-led implosion over by, and the Celtic resurgence led by Lenny. Within, that was the decade that was. So we now move forward through the latter Lenny years in the early stages of the football decade for Celtic. As always, feel free to leave your comments below. 2012-2013 season. Lenny's next season as manager would prove to be a league winning one. No shit. That pre-season was colourful with us getting gubbed by Ajax and Amsterdam, drawn with all foes Inter or home and then breaking the SPL schedule to go and play Real Madrid over in Philadelphia of all places. Personnel-wise, we had the loan disasters that were Miku, Lasad, and Rami Gerson, but purchase-wise and popped in the mercurial FA Ambrose and Tom Rogers as well as full-time capture of Fraser Foster from Newcastle's reserve, reserves, reserves. Heading out the door was Ifran Juarez, which was always a weird signing, and Keesung Young, a.k.a. Dave, who garnered six million from Swansea to keep the suits upstairs in prawn-filled volleyballs. Aloni going out would be Mo Bangura to AOK, and then Elfsberg, a move which would see him eventually playing against us. Talk about not looking ahead. But Rangers did. Demoted, it was a strange landscape in Scotland, but Lenny managed to concentrate enough to win the league in the Scottish Cup that year, one on a Sunday versus the Hebes. But sadly, went down 3-2 to St. Mirren in a semi-finals of the League Cup. In Europe, it was a journey right around the houses as the team headed to Iceland, Sweden, Portugal, Spain and Russia to meet their foes in the Champions League qualification and group stage. It'll be in Russia that gorgeous Georgi Samaras, the Pantheon Provo, would get us one of our first ever away win in the Champions League with a 3-2 win. Well, the Spartak victory, the first of two of that campaign, it would be much. It would be the match versus Barcelona that would earn the legendary status. Not only did Parkhead have an outstanding 125-year stadium TIFO, 
But Barca with Messi, Xavi and Iniesta were being lauded as one of the greatest club sides the world has ever seen. And we've done them. Somehow, Lenny came up with a game plan to beat them at Parkhead. Big Vic headed in a corner and then Le Grand Muala, the great wall, my Spanish isn't great, but Forster would have the game of his absolute life in defiance of the Barca players. As the game looked to be ending, 1-0, a fresh-faced 18-year-old Tony Watt would then run 50 yards into a punt up the park and slam the ball home for a winner. He will never be needed to buy a drink again around Glasgow. It was such a great night for Celtic that we even let the wee Lionel Messi score a consolation goal to ease his pain. Celtic could get through the group and secure a playoff game against Juve, but our European race was ran then when we went down 5-0 on aggregate. So then we move on to 2013-14. We go and once again, the league is won. On the shirts, along came Magners. By the way, have you ever seen Red the Magners' weird name set up? It's Magners, Bum, whatever. Anyway, our relationship with tenants moved on after a certain event the previous season. Into the shirts came what could possibly be called the greatest mixed bag in history. We purchased Amido Balde, who brought in Timo Puki. Yeah. And most notably, we paid $3 million for Mr. Sicknote himself, Mr. Derek Berichter. On the flip side of those disasters, we then acquired the, state, the steady Nirbiton and Stefan Johansson behind him in January. We brought home the Tom himself, Mr. Lee Griffiths from Wolves. The most important of all, though, we brought in Virgil van Dijk. Everyone's, everyone remembers that. Then, that same season, we saw Victor Wanyama, Gary Hooper, and Kevin Wilson, Kevin Wilson, with Joe Ledley exiting the winter window. Quite a change from Lenny. Indeed, while Peter smiled at the net, transfer profit is seven million. The other losses of Daryl Murphy, Mo Bangura, and Lasad Nui wouldn't cause any sleeping nights. To be fair, I don't think anyone remembers them. We wished Paddy McCord farewell. The Derry Pele, while Barca, while the Barca slayer Tony Watt failed to kick on, and had to exit on loan. The long path was also taken by a certain young guy named Cal McGregor who headed to Notts County for the experience. Pre-season friendly-wise, we played a little-known team called CFR Cluj. I wonder whatever happened to them. Our marketing adventures continued pre-season and Peter had us travelling to Dublin to defeat Liverpool 1-0. Was that it? Competition-wise, well, Europe wasn't. Europe kind of went from a super high to a Rumbling low of realisation. We got into a glamorous group after beating Goat Herders, Carrigandy, and in the last minute to qualify. Sadly, we fell to Barca and Milan with only our points coming from beating Ajax at home. Domestically wise, we seemed to be doing well, but then it just went all a bit. Mm, fuck it. <laughs> we were actually unbeaten until February, and Fraser Foster had a new shutout record with 13 clean sheets in a row. That's 1,256 minutes without conceding. Until a 2-1 loss to the Dons, we then just weren't on the ball at all and exited League Cup to Morton at home. The league, as always, was the priority though, and this was wrapped up in early doors with a 5-1 win over Thistle up at the Star and Garter in March, giving the players a few months to relax, having exited the Scottish Cup 2-1 to Aberdeen. On the part that Chris Commons would really shine on, having 
to step up post Hooper's absence. He came forward and scored a massive 32 goals that season. Commons Pocket did the Player of the Year awards and Writers Awards for his troubles. Once again, Stokesy would pair up with a hooped ball to break the 50-goal barrier. It's easy to forget the contribution Stokes made to sides back in his heyday. Celtic would score a wonderful 102 goals in the league that season. And we go to 2014-15. The Lurgan legend still floating around and just as you were getting comfortable, he goes and throws a spanner into the mix. Despite stepping in when needed and winning two leagues, Lenny would be exiting stage left before the season got underway. The talk of clashing over catch for purchases with Lowell, which circulated, but it seemed crazy if true, given the man that Dermot wanted to be leader was a certain Roy Keane, who wasn't going to come cheap or have any decent transfer expectations. Keno would ultimately tell Lowell and Dermot to ram it when Lowell insisted a French-faced, up-and-coming, a French-faced, fresh-faced, up-and-coming coach from Norway become his number two. As Keane walked away, Lowell prompted his man up a notch, and in came Ronnie Doyle, with Mr. Wolverine, a.k.a. John Sixpack Collins, coming in as his number two, with a certain John Kennedy getting promoted from the other 20s, coaching role to the first-team coach. To say Celtic fans were gobsmacked is putting it lightly, but Ronnie seemingly had some decent and modern ideas. He talked of making the side fitter and smarter and hoped for the best. The first big talking point was him getting rid of chips at Lennox Town. Honestly, like, Lenny, come on. We were all small as we saw the colourful plate marking out veg, carbs and protein proportions expected of the players. Anyone remember, we once had a head of performance named Bard of Homestow and an injury prevention, rehabilitation and performance specialist named Grit Mellingham of Homestow. No, but makes sense in the modern game. Ronnie then said about forming a side with notable signs of Craig Gordon on a free and Stuart Armstrong and Gary McKay Stevens from the Arabs for a few million. Up front, we brought in Stefan Skeptovich as our striker. On loan, we brought in the very decent Jason Denier, and a McCurl John thinks he's Latin Gadetti. We also brought in Mubarak Wazako, whom I can't even recall. We acquired Alexander Tonev, who it's best skipping over, and a certain Joe Ingi Burgett, who jumped off a plane, ran about and looked silly, and then buggered off on to come back to haunt us so well air. Exiting the doors of paradise to be Fraser Foster for 10 mil, Tony Watt headed to Belgium. Berum Kyle went to Brighton and the Brantown Bravo walked away to West Brom. Out on loan, headed that boy Pookie and that dude Balde. Peter was once again cock hoops as we pocketed another 7 million in, in transfer profit. So, friendly wise, we got thumped by Spurs and beat by St. Paolo and PSV, but we started to get well enough in the league with two wins before Inverness Cali beat us up in the Highlands. Cali go on to figure prominently that season. Europe boys, we got turned over something rotten by League of Warsaw, but like the Scion affair, we took their place after being after they fielded a player which they shouldn't have, and even then we just got we just scraped through on away goals. We got slapped by Maribor in the CL playoff round, thrown it away at home, and fell into the Europa League. That group. Featured early Red Bull Salzburg in carceration. 
and we actually managed to draw away with them before they slapped us down at Parkhead. We managed to beat Zagreb and Astra to qualify from the group and earn a glamour tie against our old foes Inter. Ronnie side did well, drawing 3-3 in the exciting game at home with a special Gadetti goal, but they went out after a 1-0 with win for the Italians back in Milan in the February. Domestically, the league was won with three games to go, then Aberdeen's challenge ended with defeat at Tannadice. On the pitch, the perfect football science of Ronnie wasn't quite blossoming as he hoped. Highlights on the park were a big Virgil scoring 10 goals that season, while his partner Denier got six. Up front, though, the Magic 50 club would need Griffiths, Commons and Gadetti, while Stokesy and Johansson contributed 8 and 13 respectively. Sadly, anonymously for our star striking purchase, Septic only managed six goals, one more than Bruni, and a certain Colin McGregor, who had profited from his previous season loan spell. The League Cup was won in style, though with not a goal conceded in the journey. We even met a new club, um, the Nuco Rangers, uh, along the way, and dismissed them 2 0 in the final before Cuffin. Dundee United in the same in Hamden in March. It would be back at Hamden where Ronnie first tasted the reality of life in Scottish football. In the April, we faced Inverness, Caledonian Thistle in the semi-final of the Scottish Cup. We weren't that great by any means, but in front of only 28k fans, we took the lead through a big Virgil free kick and then upstepped Cabal to help deny Ronnie his travel. How that linesman three yards away never saw the blatant handball from Meekins preventing Lee Griffiths scoring is beyond pointless. Ridiculous. Um, yeah, We then had to go down to 10 men with Craig Gordon walking the walk and then Callie eventually snatched out to death of injury time. Absolutely gutting. And that was the end of the season really for us by raising the title flag. There was also some small matter of a boy being promoted to play in the defence on the 22nd of April 2015. Celtic fans welcomed KT to the side and he became he came on against Dundee at the left-back berth and would make himself home there over the next few years. Move on to 2015-2016. Ronnie's second and final season would be one that was encapsulated by the Ronnie Roar. All show, no real substance, but we'll get to that. Player-wise, it was a strange one. We bought Boyata, Jozo, Sviachenko, so some shoring up at the back with Jason Stoyer, not interested in extending the loan or wanting a transfer. We also went around the SPFL and skipped up Scott Allen, Chief Chief from Dundee, and Chief Chief ended up back on loan come January because he was woeful. And we also signed uh, Ryan Christie from Inver- Inverness, um, who we graciously sent back out to develop. We also somehow ended up with Carlton Cole and Colin Kazim Richards. Yeah. Our loan signings that season would include Sadie Janko, Tyler Blackett, and a young man named Patrick Roberts popping up from Man City. I wonder what happened to him. Heading out the door, though, we saw Pookie exit. Um, we finally got rid of Signo and they and no, notably Stokesy exit that January as well. The big sell-off to keep Peter's driveway warm was Virgil van Dijk to Southampton for £11.5 million. Our net profit that season was only like £6 million. I'm sure Lowell was absolutely raging. 
As for the football, we played our friendlies out at Paisley that year, facing Dan Harry Bosch, the associate dad, and getting good by Dulca Bragg. We also faced a wee French team called Rennes. And the Euro qualifiers were a right self-inflicted boot in the bollocks as we exited to Malmo, and we let our old bearded pal Joe Berget score two easy goals at Celtic Park to help us out once Malmo got us back in Sweden. I still blame that crowd jinx of doing the huddle with two goal goals up. We then fell into the Europa League to face Ajax, Fenerbahce and Molde. We wouldn't win a game. Three draws was the best we could do. Just awful. Molde beat us up home and away as the end of the bottom of the group. This gave plenty of ammunition to the Ronnie Dowers, especially when Chris Commons went mental being substituted during the home defeat to Molde. It would be another trophy that confirmed Ronnie's tenure was at an end, but we'll get to that. As for the league, that was still missing in the Rangers and Motherwell. As for the league, that was still missing the, the Rangers uh, as Motherwell had gubbed them in the playoffs, much to the joy of many watching on TV. Celtic would tie up the league straightforward enough and close the season with a 7-0 doing a Motherwell. Another notable league highlights were a 1 win against Hamilton and score-wise the highlight was Lee Griffiths breaking 30 goal marks during that season with 40 goals overall. Look it up on YouTube. It is absolutely mental. The fact no other striker managed more says for how much we relied on Griff that season. Um, supported by Rodgers and big Chris Common, surprisingly given his role these days, Beaton scored eight. Um, down to domestic cups, we would get to the semis of the both of them. League Cup is mental. Ronnie's a hundred game in charge. We went one up in seconds through Kerry McKay Stevens. Only for FA today and get sent off and we missed the penalty before we eventually fell three one to Ross County at Hamden. The Scottish Cup then that was the end of Ronnie. Going out to the Rangers on penalties was bad enough, but no one immediately thought it meant the end of the days. What Ronnie and others weren't to know is that Dave King and crew would over celebrate and dare to annoy Dermot Desmond. Least if the legends is to believed. On reflection, Ronnie was a nice guy who kept the league wins going, so fair enough. On paper, he had some decent ideas and hopes on the modern game, but players just weren't buying into it. Um, and the reality is that in the job and the expectations were just too big for him. In it says it all that no one has ever whispered, oh, which was Ronnie was still here. Balance that though, everyone would gladly cheer Ronnie onto the pitch if he go on to make the 10. Speaking of being fair, to be fair to John Collins, our former predator wearing midfielder, honourably and immediately confirmed he would be going to given Ronnie exits. Lots of uh, slicket folk would have chanced their arm under such circumstance, but that was the season. thanks again for listening guys um obviously it's only myself doing the podcast so it's great that people are coming back and texting me off off the social media pages saying that they like the, the content and so on but if you want to keep updated follow us on facebook instagram and twitter we're at the boys noise podcast um, and you get us there just don't forget to subscribe on itunes soundcloud 
and Spotify. So, yeah, really appreciate you guys hanging on and listening to me talk shite for half an hour or so. But, yeah, I appreciate it. Subscribe. Talking of that incredible uh, Celtic support, how important is that uh, to you and uh, to the team going forward next season? Well, for me, this is just, this isn't the end, this is just the beginning. The higher you build your barriers, the taller I become. The farther you take my rights away, the faster I will run. I've had this for ten years. You can't decide to turn your face away. It's a dark day for Scottish football. It's absolutely disgraceful. I've never seen anything like it. Something inside so strong. I know that I can make it Though you're doing me wrong so wrong You thought that my pride was gone Oh no Something inside so strong Oh Something inside so strong But uh, it's not going to turn me from doing what I want to do the more you refuse to hear my voice, the louder I will sing. You hide behind walls of Jericho. The lies will come tumbling. In my place and time, you squander wealth that's mine.
Something inside so strong. 